Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to be in, um, so last week we started a series, um, you can call it what in the world is happening, you can call it God's timetable for the world. Uh, a lot of questions have been asked with what's going on in Israel at the moment. Um, you know, is this a battle of biblical proportions? Is this uh, the world getting ready for another war? Uh, and a lot of people kind of wonder if this is prophetic in some way. Now, as we've said before, there's nothing um, that is needed in terms of Bible prophecy for the Lord Jesus Christ to return for the church to be raptured. There's no prophecy left to be fulfilled. Um, you know, even in Paul's day, uh, the rapture could have happened. Um, a lot of people ask, and you know, sometimes we are criticized as a church because uh, of our belief that God is not finished with Israel. Um, you know, we've, we've had people say that we're just a bunch of Zionists, that we are, um, you know, supporters of, of um, terrorists, and we've had a whole host of accusations leveled against us. But here's the thing. God has a purpose and a plan for Israel. That does not mean that everything Israel does is perfect. That's not what we say when we say that we support Israel. We don't um, support them to do whatever they want, um, but we recognize the fact that God has a purpose and a plan for the people and the nation of Israel. Now then, what we have in the Feast of Israel, we have God's timetable. Uh, in the first four feasts, in the spring feast, they were fulfilled at the Lord's first come in, and that was Passover, unleavened bread, uh, first fruits, and Pentecost. They were fulfilled at the Lord's first come in. Then you have trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles. They will be fulfilled at Christ's second come in. What we have then, we have a gap between the spring feasts, that which was fulfilled at Christ's first come in, and we have a gap between those feasts and the autumn feasts, that which will be fulfilled at Christ's second come in. We are in that gap between the spring feasts and the autumn feasts in God's timetable. Now then, there's been lots of times where, um, you know, we could say, well, God's, you know, can't be in control of things because this has happened. You know, we see uh, the, the, the Jewish people um, being taken into captivity after coming into the promised land, after the land that God had promised to Abraham. We see the Jewish people going into captivity, taken captive by the Assyrians, the northern kingdom, and then a few hundred years later being taken captive by the Babylonians. Then we see the Jews return after that, uh, only having uh, control uh, of the land a little bit before you had the, the Greek empires taking control of the land during the Hellenistic period. You had the Roman Empire uh, taking control of the land. Then in AD 70, the temple is destroyed. And um, so a few years after that, we have the diaspora. We have uh, the Jewish people scattering throughout the world. There's been a lot of people that have had charge of uh, what we know as Israel today. Um, yes, the land has been called Palestine, but that was a slur from the Romans. They called it that on purpose. It was a play on words, uh, and the Romans did that in order to basically, um, I suppose, pour fuel on the fire in terms of um, the Jews' land. Over the years, uh, we have seen very many people um, make claim to that land. We've had um, the different empires, the Byzantine Empire, the Ottoman Empire, we've had the, um, the Turks, we've had the, the Crusades, we've had the British Mandate, uh, and then in 1948, we've had the nation and, or the state of Israel. Now then, uh, a lot of people uh, would say that before then, the Bible could not be true because there was no such country as Israel. Israel are back in the land, something that we probably um, a few generations ago thought would never happen. Why is the world so focused on such a small strip of land? 
Um, and I will tell you this, the battle is not a physical battle. Even though they may be, um, you know, they may be terrorist cells that uh, jump across the border to take innocent lives, even though they may be a retaliation uh, of great force, and sometimes uh, we might wonder what is going on. Can I say this? The battle is not just a physical battle. It is a massive spiritual battle going on in that area. For anybody that's been to Israel, um, we've been and we've been blessed to go several times. You can sense something in Jerusalem. I can't explain it. I don't know whether it's an expectation of the Lord's return. I don't know whether it's just an excitement because this is where um, the Lord was. But you can sense something in that place. It is important. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. Um, Russia will come into play. Iran will come into play. Um, you might say, well, what's happening now? Is this a sign of something? I can tell you this. The Lord Jesus Christ said that in the last days there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. Um, people far cleverer than I am could probably work out how many days peace there has been since the last war to end all wars. Um, I can promise you this, that war to end all wars didn't end any wars. Um, and that is something that goes on in our world. So what we are doing with this series, we are looking at God's feasts. We are looking at what they meant initially. And we're looking at the order that they took place. We're looking at why God instituted those feasts for the nation of Israel at that time. Then we're going to look at how Christ fulfilled those feasts um, when he was here on earth and how he will fulfill them when he comes back. And then we're going to look at what those feasts mean to us. When we get there, when we come to Pentecost and we look at that gap between Pentecost and trumpets, we will look at what is going on in the world today. And what has to happen between the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets, okay? So, if you have your Bible, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. We're just going to look at uh, verse 5 for now, and then we're going to jump across to Exodus chapter 12 to look at this feast in a lot more um, detail. Uh, so, in, uh, in, in, in uh, Leviticus 23... And verse 5, it says, In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, we pray you'd speak to our hearts tonight. Father, we can look at this world and become discouraged and disheartened and even fearful because of what is going on. But Lord, when we look at the world events in light of the scripture, then we understand that you have already seen what will happen. You've already been there. You've gone before and you have got a plan for the ages. How incredible that even in these feasts, you have laid out a timetable. Uh, you laid out a timetable of what Christ will do in order to fulfill these feasts and what he will do in the future to accomplish and fulfill these so, Father, I pray that as we look at the, the Passover tonight, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here in the building tonight that is unsaved, that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, then I pray that they would look at him as this Passover lamb. And they would look at him as a lamb that has taken away the sins of the world. And they would come to know that lamb as their Savior tonight. Father, for those of us who are saved, then I pray that you would help us to recognize the importance that we have in order to live our lives as a testimony that would be pleasing to you, that we might be a witness of this Lamb to those around and about us. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we are going to look at um, the Passover, and this is the first of the seven feasts. And symbolically, it typifies God's plan of salvation for sinners. And that plan centers around a lamb. When we look at Exodus chapter 12, you would probably say, do you know what? That plan does not make much sense. That plan seems to be a little bit simplistic. That plan seems to, to, to be too easy to follow. 
Uh, well, can I say this to you? That is the plan of salvation. It, it amazes me how many people re will refuse to accept Christ as their savior because the plan of salvation is simple. Man has sinned. Man is not perfect. Man cannot go to heaven as we are. Christ died for our sins upon the cross of Calvary so that he could take our sin upon him so his righteousness could be put upon us so we could then go before God. Like Adam and Eve this morning, sins were covered by the blood. As they were clothed, they were then able um, to stand before God again. So our sins are covered by the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are clothed not by a lamb or a ram's skin. We are clothed by the blood of Christ and we are clothed in his righteousness. The lamb pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Leviticus, Moses simply lists the Passover as the first among the seven appointed feasts. But in Exodus chapter 12, we are given a lot more detail about this particular feast. Uh, the first point, if you remember, this, we're coming towards the 10th plague now at this point. The, the, God has said that he is going to come through the land and he is going to take the firstborn. Um, but he has offered a plan of salvation. That people can be saved if they follow God's plan. The firstborn Jews in Egypt weren't saved from death by admiring the lamb. They weren't saved by death for caring for the lamb. They weren't saved from death by loving the lamb. They were saved from death by slaying the lamb. The lamb had to die and the blood had to be a applied. We aren't saved by Christ the example. We are not saved by Christ the teacher. We are not saved by Christ the prophet. We are not saved by knowing about Christ. We are not saved by even admiring Christ. We are not saved even by worshiping him. We are saved by his death and applying his blood to our lives. So, in the seven feasts, the outline is going to be the same except for tonight, and you'll see why in a minute. The outline is going to be what the feast meant, what did God intend them for, how did Christ fulfill them, and what do they mean to us. This is slightly different tonight because we're still going to look at why did God give us the feast and how did Christ fulfill it. There is so much detail in the Passover and how a perfect picture of salvation this is we are kind of going to do what God intended and how Christ fulfilled at the same time. So you, you, you'll see now as we go along. First of all, we're going to look at the lamb is proved. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the light of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So this Passover was necessitated by the tenth plague. Remember the 10th plague, uh, the, the Lord is going to kill the firstborn in Egypt. Uh, for 400 years, the Hebrew people had been in Egypt, and they had been slaves. They had been crying out to God. God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and said, I have heard the cry of my people. In response to their cry, God provided a deliverer in Moses. Pharaoh wouldn't hear Moses. So the land of Egypt was subjected to a series of plagues. If you remember, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Every plague, and this is for another, um, another sermon, every plague was an attack on Egypt's gods. Okay, so the Nile being turned to blood, that was an attack upon their God. The, um, you know, people worship the sun, people worship the water, people worship the whole host of things. Um, the, uh, the, the sun going dark was an attack on Ra, um, the God of the sun. Uh, you had frogs, lice, flies. If you look at some of the gods in Egypt, you see these gods having the head of a frog. And you, so all of the plagues were an attack on 
the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. The tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. Uh, And from the moment God warned of this plague, he made known his intent to put difference between the Egyptians and Israel. The difference between Egypt and Israel hinged upon a lamb. The difference between the lost and the saved hinges upon a lamb, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The death of the firstborn was upon everybody that was in the land of Egypt. The Israelites were in Egypt and failure to accept God's prescription would have meant death would have come to their home just as uh, rapidly as it would visit any Egyptian home. Whether an Israelite lived or died depended on what they did with the lamb. But the lamb was proved. Uh, We are told in verse 3 that in the 10th day of the month, remember the lamb was to be slain in the 14th day of the month, but on the 10th day of the month, they should take every man a lamb. Every home was required to set apart and single out a lamb. In the generations to come, the Passover lamb was to be chosen for four days prior to its sacrifice. For those four days, that lamb was appointed unto death. The Passover lamb typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul even called him our Passover. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The lamb was scrutinized for those four days because that lamb had to be perfect. There were to be no blemishes on that lamb. There was to be no spot on that lamb. The lamb was chosen uh, on the 10th day of the month and watched until the 14th day of the month. And you say, so what? In John chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. The Passover was on the 14th day of the month, the 14th of Nisan. The sixth day before that would have been the 9th of Nisan. It was the next day, the 10th of Nisan, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Four days, the Lord Jesus Christ was in Jerusalem before his sacrifice. He did so at the very time the Passover lambs were being separated to be scrutinized. They were being separated to be watched. The Passover lambs were examined for those next days to make sure they were without blemish. For those days, from the 10th of Nisan to the 14th of Nisan, and the Lord Jesus Christ was scrutinized. He was observed. He was questioned by the religious leaders. But they could find nothing wrong with him. Even Pilate, when Jesus Christ came before Pilate, Pilate questioned him time and time and time again. And what did Pilate say? I find no fault in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Christ knew no sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says Christ did no sin. 1 John 3.5, it says that in him is no sin. He was perfect. He was scrutinized for those days before the cross. And they couldn't find any fault in him. He was perfect. He was without blemish. God sent a lamb that could do what no other animal could do. He sent a lamb that would take away the sins of the world. In that moment that John singled out Jesus, in that moment, Christ was set apart. You could say that his life was scrutinized for the three plus years that he ministered on the earth. Every miracle was watched. Every word that he spoke uh, was was listened to. He was, uh, you know, um, 
John said, if, if all the miracles that the Lord did, if all the words that he spoke was written down, there would not be enough books in the whole world to contain what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He was appointed unto death. He was singled out from the flock of Israel. He was marked for uh, death before he was even slain. It was no surprise that the Lord Jesus Christ would die because Peter said, with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Revelation put it this way, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The Passover lamb was not an afterthought. Okay, the Lord didn't suddenly think, oh, right, what we need now before we come out of Egypt is a lamb. This will really mess things up. You know, this will, the Lord didn't think, right, what am I going to do now? It's the last plague. Uh, I've got to finish with a big finale. Uh, what shall I do? Um, let's just grab a lamb. That'll do. No. This was perfectly, meticulously planned so that what they did in Egypt perfectly pictured what the Lord Jesus Christ would do at Golgotha. It wasn't an afterthought. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord didn't think, oh no, they've sinned. Now what do I do? Because the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Even before God created the world, he knew that man would sin and that he would have to send his son to pay for the sins of the world. For those days after the Lord rode into Jerusalem, the lamb was proved. From the 10th of Nisan to the 14th of Nisan, they watched that lamb to make sure it was perfect. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb. That brings us on to our next point. The lamb is perfect. In verse 4 of Exodus chapter 12, And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the manner of the, of the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make you count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Your lamb shall be without blemish. They were not to look for any lamb. You know what, what tends to happen? Well, let me, let me ask you this question. Um, how many of you, and I, I sometimes ask this question around about Christmas time, how many of you have ever re-gifted a gift? How many of you have had something for Christmas and thought, mm, I don't like that. That's going in the re-gift box. And then you've just, somebody's birthday comes up and you're like, oh. You know, that works great until you re-gift it to the person that gave it to you in the first place. I think that happened to Eve. I think Eve had something back that she'd given to somebody in school. And sometimes you think, well, charming. You know, that, that was an afterthought. Thanks very much. They weren't looking for any lamb. They weren't going into their flock and thinking, oh, which, one, which one's only got three legs? You know, which one is, is not any good to any of us? Which one, you know, has got a bit of problem with his eyesight? Which lamb keeps bumping into things? Which, which lamb is the one that we can get rid of and not even worry about? No, that's not what the Lord said. The Lord said, you pick out the perfect lamb, the best specimen. And this is at a time where livestock is important to a household. They were to pick out the perfect lamb. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ would be perfect. He knew no sin, did no sin, could not sin. He was the perfect lamb. He was the lamb without blemish and without spot. It was impossible for the Lord Jesus Christ to sin. Uh, John 14, 30 says this, For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. There was nothing in Jesus that would respond to temptation. There was no hidden sin. There was no thought sin. There was nothing that he did in secret uh, that he kind of kept from the disciples or kept from the crowd. There was no skeletons in his closet. He was absolutely flawless. He was completely without blemish. So much so that Judas, who betrayed him, said this, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And as we said earlier, even Pilate said, I find no fault 
in this man. He didn't just say it once. I think Pilate said it three times. I find no fault in him. And he may have even said it more than that. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Isaiah 53, talking about the Lamb, says, He hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Hebrews 4, 15, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 1 Peter 2, 22 says, He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The lamb had to be perfect for Passover back in Egypt. The lamb on the cross of Calvary had to be perfect. That lamb is paramount. That is central to everything. It says in verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. In verse 6, it says you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 10 says, There shall nothing remain of it, and verse 11 says, It is the Lord's Passover. And you might look at this and you might think, what a weird thing to do. Surely the Lord could have come up with something far more cleverer than this in order to protect the firstborn in that house. When we read these details, we think that they're just a peculiar set of rules and regulations, but there are reasons behind it. The lamb had to be a male of the first year. Uh, in the Hebrew uh, rendering, uh, this would say that he was to be a male, the son of a year. That means that it was to be one year old. It wasn't to be too young, and it wasn't to be too old. It was to die in the fullness of its strength. How do you think that applies to the Lord Jesus Christ? Christ didn't die in childhood. He didn't die as a boy. He didn't die as a youth. He died at the age of 33. Now, at the age of 30, they entered into the ministry. That's when the priests would begin their ministry. Um, the psalmist says, he was taken away in the midst of my days, in the peak of life. How many of you would say, yeah, do you know what? After I turned 30, things started to go downhill fast. Why, why did everything start going wrong at Girls, make the most of it. Just saying, make the most of it. You know, when we, when, we, when we were like in our 30s, we felt like we could take on the world. We could do anything. And then you get to 40, you think, I'll just take on half the world. And then as you get closer to 50, you think, what in the world is going on? But the Lord Jesus Christ was cut down in his prime. The lamb was to be killed in verse 6. It says, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. That literally means, in the Hebrew, it means between the two evenings, meaning late afternoon, the time when the sun is declining and beginning to set. That is exactly when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary on the 14th of Nisan, on the day of Passover. Uh, Matthew 26, 2 says, uh, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. John 19, 14, And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your King. Not only was Christ crucified on the day, but every detail of his crucifixion lines up with what was happening with the Passover lambs. Uh, Josephus, Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, records that 256,500 lambs were killed in Jerusalem for the Passover the year that Jesus was crucified. With that many lambs, uh, the animals were prepared for sacrifice beginning at 9 o'clock 
in the morning so that they could be killed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They uh, were, had to be removed then from the temple and taken to the homes before 6 o'clock. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Hour zero starts at 6 o'clock. The third hour was 9 o'clock in the morning. So as the lambs are being taken to be slaughtered, the Lord Jesus Christ is hung upon the cross of Calvary. In the ninth hour, Mark uh, 15 tells us that the ninth hour or 3 o'clock, at the very moment the Passover lambs were being slayed, Jesus breathed his last breath. And you can see that in Mark 15, 34 to 37. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the feast we look at next week, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was beginning at 6 o'clock, which was the beginning of a new day. Christ's body had to be removed. 3 o'clock in the afternoon had to be gone by 6 o'clock, and those that had taken the Lord's body down from the cross had to be back in their homes before that Sabbath day started. Um, John 19.31 says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day. This wasn't the Saturday. This was the Sabbath day after the feast. I'm going to wreck everybody's theology next week and tell you that Christ wasn't crucified on a Friday. So just be prepared to get upset with me. Don't be upset with me. Be upset with the word of God. And then, uh, lay day. Verse 42, then uh, they laid day, Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So the Sabbath is not a Saturday Sabbath. It is a high Sabbath. It is a feast day Sabbath. And in Luke's gospel, you actually see the two Sabbaths mentioned. You see the ladies rest in the Sabbath. You see the Lord's body going in the, uh, the tomb before the Sabbath. You see the ladies buying the spices. Then you see them rest in the Sabbath, the Saturday. And then they come on the first day of the week to anoint the body. But the Lord Jesus Christ is resurrected on that third uh, day. So, although the Passover involved every household having to uh, have a lamb... Um, we see that every household has a representative lamb. Um, never do we read of God saying about lambs. Each household was to have a lamb. Um, whilst the eyes of the Israelites in Egypt was upon their flocks, God's eye was cast further to the lamb, singular, that would take away the sin of the world. And then we read that the lamb had to be burnt. It had to be roasted. Why? Why not just boiled? Why not eaten raw? Why? We understand that, again, what God did is a picture of what Christ would do. Fire in the Bible always speaks of judgment. Lamentations 1.12, it is nothing to you, all ye that pass by, behold and see if there be any sorrows like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. From above he hath sent fire into my bones, and it prevaileth against them. In Psalm 102, the Messiah cries out, for my days are consumed like smoke. And my bones are burnt as a hearth because of thine indignation and thy wrath. Everything that took place on the cross of Calvary was for a purpose. Even when the Lord Jesus Christ said, I thirst. He was offered vinegar and gore right at the beginning of the crucifixion. And he, he refused to take it. But then, right at the end of the crucifixion, he said... I thirst. And one of the gospel writers says that he said this in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. And there is an obscure psalm, not an obscure psalm, but tucked away in Psalm 69. It says, they gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. If the Lord Jesus Christ had taken that drink at the beginning of the crucifixion, people could have said, well, he wasn't thirsty then. Surely that was given to him to numb the pain. But in order to fulfill 
the very last minutest detail of the word of God, Christ said, I thirst. And the scripture was fulfilled. I'm saying that to say this. The cross was not an accident. The cross was not an afterthought. Everything that took place upon the cross was for a purpose, was for a reason. Christ was crucified at Passover. Nothing was to remain until the morning. When the next day dawned, there was to be no trace of it. If you remember, when the Jews said to to, to Pilate, look, these bodies have got to come down off the cross because they, they can't defile uh, the Sabbath. So they came and they broke the bones in the legs of the thieves so that they would um, suffocate themselves quicker because then they couldn't push up on their legs. When they came to break the bones of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was already dead because the scripture said not a bone of him was broken. Everything that took place on the cross was perfect was for a reason there was to be nothing left until the morning and we are told that the jews therefore because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the sabbath day for the sabbath day was a high day not the saturday besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away the morning after the crucifixion christ is not on the cross but he is in the tomb and then finally we see that the lamb is protection. In verse 12, it says that the Lord said this, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. On the night of Passover, on the night that the Lord was going to come through Egypt and kill uh, the firstborn, um, he said if the blood of the lamb was placed on the lintels of the door and upon uh, the post of the door, that uh, the firstborn would be saved. And that was just as true for the Israelites as it was for the Egyptians. The Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. The question then arises was how was this difference marked? Because remember we said God said he intended to put a difference between Egypt and the Israelites. Um, and he says in verse 7, take of the blood, strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Can I say this? The difference between the Egyptians and the Jews was not their behavior because both were sinners. The Egyptians were just as much sinners as the Jews were. The difference wasn't in their nature. The difference was the blood. The blood makes the difference. The cross makes a difference. There is no difference between you and anybody outside of these walls because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nothing different in our nature. The difference is the cross. The difference is the blood. If the blood of Christ has been applied to your heart, then you don't need to fear God as one who will judge because the Passover lamb his blood has been applied to our lives. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. You cannot, the, the, the Israelites could not survive that night if the blood was not applied to their door. 
You cannot go to heaven if the blood is not applied to your lives. It doesn't matter how good you try to be. It doesn't matter how much of the word you try to keep. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you try to remember. It doesn't matter how many churches you visit. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this church. It doesn't matter how long you have sat. It doesn't matter how much you've given. All that matters is that the blood is applied to your lives. The Israelites could have said, well, we know about the lamb. We know what we're meant to do. We just forgot to apply it to the doorpost. I tell you what, the firstborn in that house would have been, mom, dad, make sure you apply the blood. Mom, dad, make sure that blood is applied to the lintels of the door because it's not your neck on the line, it's my neck on the line. Apply the blood to your hearts. In Christ God has provided for our salvation. What did God do with this feast? God had the feast of Passover so that he could protect his people. So that when he came through the land on that last plague, his people, those who put the blood on the doorpost, would be protected. How did Christ fulfill that feast? When he died upon the cross of Calvary, he fulfilled that, pre- that feast to every single detail. From coming into Jerusalem uh, four days earlier to be scrutinized for those four days, to be seen as perfect, without blemish, without spot, to then go to the cross at the exact time that the lambs were being taken to the temple to be prepared for slaughter, to die upon the cross, to give up his breath at the... F- actual moment that those lambs were being sacrificed he fulfilled the feast of passover perfectly in every single detail so what does it mean to it for us that blood has to be applied if the blood wasn't applied to the doors and the firstborn died If the blood is not applied to your life, then I can tell you this. When you leave this earth, which every single one of us will at some point, if the blood is not applied to your life, when you leave this earth, you will face God as the angel of death rather than accepting him as the Passover lamb. That's the reality of things. What does it mean to us? If the blood is not applied, we have no hope. We have no protection. We have no uh, promise of heaven. All we have is a punishment which we deserve. God is not willing that any should perish. That's why God made this plan. So what was lost in the Garden of Eden was reclaimed at the cross of Calvary. God had perfect fellowship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and sin destroyed that. We can't have perfect fellowship with God because by birth, we are sinners. You don't have to teach a child to sin. You don't have to teach somebody to lie. Nobody ever said to me, right, today's class is all about lying. It comes naturally when you're a child. Did you do that? Did you break that? No, I didn't break it. No, I didn't, I didn't eat sweets before food. No, I didn't do that. You don't have to teach anybody to lie. It comes naturally. Why? Because we are born sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What was lost in Eden, that perfect fellowship with God, we can't have unless we come through the Lamb of Calvary. Unless we come through Christ as the Passover Lamb. We are then protected from death. When we die, it's a promotion to glory with the blood. Without the blood, it's a sentence to punishment. When the blood is applied to our lives, we are protected. Christ gave himself, not just for us, but he took our punishment. He took our place. The punishment we deserve, he took. The nature that he has is then added to our lives when we accept him. The son is able to go before God's presence. The son is able to go before the father. And because his blood is applied to our lives and because his righteousness clothes us, we then have that opportunity to be able to go into the presence of God. 
because of what Christ has done. What did God intend for this feast to be so he could save the nation of Israel when he passed through the land as he destroyed the firstborn in that final plague? How did Christ fulfill it? He was the perfect, perfect picture of that lamb in every single detail. How does it apply to us? You've got to apply the blood. If you don't apply the blood, then there is no hope. You might say, well, that's not fair. That's a simple plan. People could have looked at this, you know, and, and the Egyptians had the same opportunity to do this. They could have looked at this and said, mm, I don't know, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like it'll work. And maybe people say, well, I, I don't think salvation sounds like it'll work. It doesn't make sense. It's too simple. Surely there must be something else to do. The plan of salvation is simple. You've sinned. You can't go to heaven as you are. Christ died for you with sin, and if you accept him as your savior and apply his blood to your life, then you have full access to heaven. Sin's forgiven, a home in heaven, an eternity with God forever. It's that simple. But the blood has to be applied. I don't know where you are with the Lord. I don't know if you know him as your savior. Maybe you've never heard a message like this before. Maybe you were here tonight or watching online and you think, I've never done any of that. Can I say this tonight? Do it before it's too late. This world is, is not going to get better. But we have a hope that is steadfast and certain. We have a sure and certain hope. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say this tonight? If you've never trusted him as your savior, then you need to do that before it's too late. Trust him tonight. He is the perfect lamb of God, the Passover lamb that has taken away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together tonight and for this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, I just pray that you continue to speak to our hearts. Father, we look at this feast and realize that you had a perfect timetable that even thousands of years before Christ came to this earth, uh, this feast was already in motion to be a picture of what Christ would do in full completion of that feast. And Father, I just pray that you would, for those who have not accepted him yet, that you would help them to apply that blood to their lives so they might know you as their savior. And for those of us who have trusted you, that you would give us that comfort in the fact that we are protected. We're protected from what the devil throws at us, from what this world wants to do to us, and what will come in the future when we leave this earth. We're protected from death and the punishment of an eternity in hell because of what Christ did upon the cross for us. So, Father, I prayed you'd help us to take comfort in the fact that no matter what happens in this world, we know that you have a perfect plan for the ages. And we've seen that in the feast of Passover, with how Christ fulfilled that feast perfectly. So, Father, I just pray you'd comfort our hearts with this. For those who have never trusted you, I pray that there would be a conviction and a move to trust you. And for those of us who, who know you as our Savior, I pray that there would be a comfort and a confidence because of what Christ did upon the cross. We just pray and ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. I stand and sing our last hymn together. If you have any questions about salvation, please do not leave here tonight without speaking to me. If you've got any questions, if nothing's made sense, come and speak to me. If the Lord has spoken to your heart and you want to do something uh, about it, then please come and speak to me. If you want me to clarify anything, please come and speak to me. Uh, would, nothing would give me greater pleasure than to sit down with you and talk to you from the Word of God about what you need to do in order to be saved. Uh, well, let's stand and sing our uh, last hymn together. And I've anchored in Jesus. Amen.
close this in a word of prayer. Thank you, Fred. Thank you for all the powerful gifts that have been spread before us today, Lord. And we are truly blessed. Lord, your word come true to us today. You provide all our needs according to your riches in glory. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for those of us who know you as Lord and Savior. We have been washed by the precious blood of the Lamb. We just thank you, Lord, for your word tonight, Lord. Apply it to our hearts and minds as we go forward in the days and weeks that lie ahead, Lord. To reach out to those, Lord, who know you not. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, may they come to pass and ask, how must I, what must I do to be saved? And that applies to those that are listening online, Lord. Lord, now is the day of salvation. None of us know it yet tomorrow, Lord. But time is in your hands. Yes, Lord, we just thank you that we've been able to come and praise and worship you and give you thanks for our eternal salvation. We ask, Lord, now that we, as we depart one from another, but not from you, you grant each of us traveling mercies, Lord, until we come again on the Sabbath to worship, praise you for what you've done for each and every one of us. For we ask these things, Lord, in your wonderful and precious name. Amen.